Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. So let's pray and dive on into this one. So, Father, uh, we thank you for opening your Holy Spirit to us this morning. God, I pray as we read your word, that, Lord, the word would jump off the page to us. Holy Spirit, I pray you would open our hearts, open our minds, that, Lord, we would receive the seed of your word, and that something would grow today, and we would grow closer to you, and we would grow inside of your image. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. All right. <clears throat> Everybody, we are in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 46 today. And I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. It starts off. Oh, let's say I was going to grab a sip. It starts off. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A, love, uh, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Then, surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, he is the son of David. Jesus responded, then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord? For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Mm. So this is uh, one of the well-known passages of scripture, right? Where it talks about love and it talks about uh, uh, how important it is. So we're going to break it into just kind of how, you know, the, the cadence of scripture is here. We're going to talk about the most important command. And then we're going to talk about Jesus's response to the very people that asked him that question. So please drop inside of the chat a verse, something that stood out to you, an idea that stood out to you. If uh, I get to see it, I'd love to just talk about it. But I want to dive into, uh, let's say, maybe the context of the text. So chapter 22 starts off with Jesus telling them uh, about a parable of a great wedding feast and of how there were guests invited to the wedding. Uh, but it closes off saying, for many are called, but few are chosen. So he invites all these guests out to a wedding. And many of those guests have the response of, well, I'm busy. I got life going on. I don't have time for this. Maybe I have a business. I've got family. I've got friends I have to tend to. So listen, wedding feast sounds great and all, but I don't have time for wedding feast. Yet Jesus replies to, uh, let's say, the heart posture. Many are called, but few are chosen. Uh, 
And in essence, what Jesus is doing is he is relating our relationship to him as a wedding or as a marriage. So this wedding feast is like the uh, initiation of us being married to him or as some kind of look at it as when we first get to heaven, there will be a marriage feast with him. So he goes through kind of likening our relationship uh, to him like that. Then he goes on talking about uh, taxes to Caesars, to Caesar, where the phrase is coined, give to Caesar what is, belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. After that, he begins talking to a religious group called the Sadducees. So back in the day of Jesus, there was, uh, let's say, four main large groups inside of uh, Judaism. One, you had the Pharisees. Two, you had the Sadducees. Three, you had the Zealots. And four, you had the uh, Anessis. So these four groups were all uh, all Jewish, like, subscribe, like, you know, their subscription of faith was Judaism. However, they all had different tenets in their beliefs. So, for example, the zealots um, were pretty straightforward. They were zealous, right? So the zealots very often wanted to see the Jews freed from the oppression of Rome that were uh, uh, kind of holding the Jews not hostage, but in bondage for a pretty long time. Uh, they would do that through a lot of physical force. And their coined scripture that would back their group was zeal from my father's house consumes me. You know, when David said that verse, uh, their idea was since the zeal consumed him and he would do things that uh, maybe were against the nature of God, they justified what they were doing under the same pretense. The Anessis were a different group. You don't hear about them too, uh, too often. However, they would go hide out in the wilderness, basically, because they didn't want to be a part of the sinful world. They made this decision that they uh, were not about everything that everyone was doing, and we would rather just live in our own little group out in our little compound outside of society uh, than partake in what they had going on. Then you had the Sadducees and Pharisees. So these two still subscribe to uh, you know the beliefs of the day. However, um, uh, Jesus is confronting both groups inside of this chapter. So it starts off verse 23, where Jesus was approached by Sadducees. And they were asking him about, let's say, just some theological questions. And I think it's good to know that when they were approaching Jesus, it was never out of curiosity. You know, they weren't coming to him and asking him questions because they really want to know about the faith or about him. They were really trying to trap him so that they could uh, scrutinize him and uh, um, uh, try and bring up a charge against him so that people would know, OK, this is a false prophet. So first, the Sadducees tried him. Then in the passage we just read, verse 34, the Pharisees tried him, right? Because what's it say? When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. So verse 35, it goes, one of them, an expert in religious law or a scribe, tried to trap him with this question. They tried to trap him. So their goal was not to understand God. Their goal was to test God, right? And I think it's good to know for us, there's a difference between uh, questioning God and having questions, right? Like God wants us to have questions and it is okay to have a nature that has questions, but it is an issue to be questioning, if that makes sense. So one says, God, the Bible says you're good, but I don't understand why bad things happen in the world. God, could you help me understand this? 
And that is, God, I have questions. Questioning God says, God, are you really good? Because I see bad things happen in the world, so I'm not sure you're actually good. One comes with a preconceived notion. One genuinely wants to know if God is good or not. So uh, on Wednesday nights, we have an awesome young adults group. It's called Fervent. And uh, God has been blowing this group up, y'all. It is insane. Every single week, we have like two to three uh, first-time guests kind of just coming in and rolling in. And it has turned into a massive small group, right? <laughs> and it's awesome what God is doing. You know, we were looking at it and we're like, man, like, God, what are you even going to do next? And so many of us inside of that group are brand new to our faith, you know, uh, just started becoming Christ followers within the past week, month, you know, year. So we get to work with the bare bones basics of what the word says. And just so you know, that group is like old school Bible study. Like we just kind of grab the book of John and we go through verse by verse. It's so awesome. And uh, we were getting into a couple topics on uh, on Wednesday talking about, you know, does God love answering our questions or are we like a bother to him? You know, like the nature of God. And is it okay to actually have questions about God? You know, and, you know, one of the topics we were going into was the Old Testament story of uh, a man who touched the Ark of the Covenant. And because he touched the Ark of the Covenant, and if, you know, for any of us who don't know what the Ark of the Covenant was, uh, it was a physical representation of this uh, presence and glory of God here on the earth. So God had to make the Ark of the Covenant to symbolize his presence with his people. So this Ark or his presence was taken outside of Jerusalem and outside of, uh, you know, where his people were. And they wanted to bring it back to where it belonged. When they were carrying that ark back to where it belonged, it fell. And there was a guy who reached out to try and stop it, right? And when he tried to uh, stop it, the actual presence and glory of God killed the guy. Oh, snap. <laughs> right? Kind of like a dramatic, like, turn of events when you're reading the passage. And if I could be transparent with you, church, if I can just be real with you, um, and if I could uh, just be also, I'm going to be real, whether you want me to or not, um, love you. <laughs> um, when I first read that passage, it really uh, rubbed me the wrong way. Because when I looked at it, I was like, God, this guy was just trying to stop your ark and your presence from falling. And then you're going to kill the guy. <laughs> and I was like, uh, Jesus, I'm, I'm gonna keep it a buck with you. I think it's a little lame. <laughs> However, uh, rather than questioning God, I chose, I chose, made a decision. God, I'm just going to have questions about this passage because I want to know about it. And I don't want to have a preconceived notion and just say, okay, you're lame. And I'm just going to subscribe to that belief that what you did was wrong. No, God, I am going to come to you with the question of, can you please break this down for me? Because I know you're good. I know you always have best intention in mind. Could you please help us or help me understand what you were saying inside of that passage? It sent me on this rabbit trail journey as I was diving into that scripture. And it turns out the individual that touched the Ark of the Covenant, that Ark had been in his house or excuse me, his grandfather's house for 25 years. And then come to find out he had lived with his grandfather for a lot of that time period. So when he was touching the ark and touching and going into the presence of God, uh, he wasn't killed out of good motives. He was really uh, what happened to him was because he was overly familiar with God's presence 
and treated what was holy and reverent with uh, familiarity. He treated something that was meant to be cherished as something that was normal, you know, and uh, there's a certain respect to have when we come into worship. There's a certain posture to have when we come before God as saying, Lord, search my heart. And this guy just didn't have it. Now, I, I know it's such like a brief synopsis of that passage. You know, I almost soaked it once, but I did trade a day. Uh, maybe God will gift me with that another day. We could break it down together as a family. But all of that to just kind of get to the point. There's a difference between the posture of questioning God and having questions. And hear me, church, it is so good to have questions because God loves answering questions. So everything from uh, diving into the topic of sickness and healing, come on, somebody, from diving into the topic of spiritual warfare and deliverance, from diving into the topics of how can a good God let bad things happen, he is not intimidated by your questions. Bring them to him so he can answer them. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher we'll ever come across. And who better to ask questions to than the greatest teacher we could ever come across, which is Holy Spirit. Now, let's take a look. Verse 37. As they ask him the question, you know, uh, which commandment is the most important out of the law of Moses? Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. So I am going to oversimplify this for us this morning. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind. Other gospels will say heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, the oversimplification for you today, the kiss, the keep it simple, stupid for us today is with all of yourself. If you have it inside of yourself or if you've got it, love God with it. There is not a single piece we want to hold back from him. So I don't read this and say, okay, soul, mind, heart, strength. You want to know what? He didn't say love God with my left foot, so I'm good, right? No, we don't want to hold anything back from God. That's what Jesus is saying right here. All of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to kind of, because uh, uh, I love doing a teaching on this, but I'm going to do like very brief. Your heart, or excuse me, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So I know mind is listed inside of this passage, but when you look at soul, uh, you know, scholars believe it's the seat of your emotions. You can break it down into three parts. Uh, if you love taking notes, it's a good note. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So your mind is so very important. And the reason why you want to love God with your mind is because your life will always go in the direction of your strongest thoughts. If you're thinking a thought, your, your life is going to go in that direction. And uh, your will is the very thing you want to do with your life. And if you are going to aspire and have ambition inside of this life, God says, hey, that's all good. But make sure you're loving me with what that thing is. Because many times God gives us a dream. He gives us an ambition. He gives us a drive. But sometimes he gives us one and we choose a different one, which is exactly why we want to love God with our will, our desires. And so right here, the love that God is talking about. Uh, if you're a Greek and Hebrew nerd like me, uh, it's called agapeo love, or another way of saying it is agape love. This love is a self-sacrificing love. The love that God calls us to is a love that puts others first before ourselves. Now, hear me, because some people read or think of agape or agapeo or a self-sacrificing love as a love that puts itself down in order to elevate others. That's not what it is at all. 
A self-sacrificing love simply looks to others first. So inside of this, uh, you know, because what I say, love your neighbor as yourself is the next verse. Inside of this self-sacrificing love, it's a viewpoint of I am healthy. I'm okay. My, let's say, self-care is taken care of, right? Because I don't first go to teach the Bible without first letting it penetrate my own heart and actually like dwelling on this. The self-care is cared for. And then from that place, I can love God and love others. So that self-sacrificing love, uh, I like to look at it in an order like this. If I'm going to bless anyone inside of the day, the agape love says, I bless God, I bless people, and then I bless myself in a very distant third. Because when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think is, God, how can I bless you today? How can I bring you glory today? God, what is it that you're assigning me to do today? Then right after that, I say, all right, God, this is what's going to bring you glory. God, how can I bless people? How can I, how can I take care of other people today? How can I meet the needs of other people? Because baked inside of the definition of agape love or agapeo love is a love that meets needs. It's not just simply an emotional love because a biblical love is actually more of a verb than it is a noun. So biblical love being a verb means it's love in action, right? And that's why I love what we do here at Fusion Church. I love what we do inside of our outreach program uh, where Heather and Donna are slaying it, where we really do love like crazy because we are doing hope Easter baskets to bless people's socks off. Come on somebody. And it's a love that's a verb. So when any, whenever anyone says, Hey, I love you. You know, my first thought is always, what's the verb attached to it? You know, cause sometimes we get an emotional feeling and we want to express it somehow, but love is always backed by action, right? Because love in essence is uh, uh, a verb. When it's described in 1 Corinthians, you know, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, right? The list goes on. These are all verbs or the nature of what love looks like. So when I'm talking about love, it is actively patient. When I'm talking about love, it is not boasting, correct? Like it is an active word. So we want to love God with this. And the second commandment is equally important, says verse 39. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, uh, what this is saying is, I'm going to, again, oversimplify today. In the same way you meet your own needs, you are to meet the uh, needs of others. Because uh, if we are real today, if we are totally real with ourselves, when we're cold, we put a sweater on, right? When we are hungry, we eat. And sometimes when we're not hungry, we still eat. <laughs> <laughs> thank you i love the head nods thank you guys and here's the thing we take care of ourselves you know and i know sometimes we uh we feel so okay uh maybe we don't take care of ourselves the best but we do we take care of ourselves um in the same way we meet our own needs we want to meet the needs of others and that's such a practical love to have you know in the same way that we wake up with a hot shower thank you lord jesus for hot showers in the same way that we have the simple needs, my dishwasher works. Come on. My comforter on my bed is the best. I have gas in my car, right? My needs are met. The agape, agapeo love that calls us to meet needs, calls us to meet the needs of our neighbors. So it says, in the same way that God has blessed you, bless them. 
because if we really think about it, it's not too difficult to love ourselves at times. Now, the love aspect of loving ourselves in the sense of, uh, am I convinced that God is pleased with me, right? Let's say a soul love, a love that sees our inner workings and says, God, um, uh, I want to be content or secure in how you've wired me and made me. Sometimes we have to grow in that. You know, that form of love is something that we grow in. It doesn't always happen overnight. But the active verb love that changes things and does things, that's something we could start doing immediately. So as I say, love God, love your neighbor. Uh, there was a church I pastored in, very first church, and it had the most simple motto I have ever heard. It was very simply, here for God, here for others. And I was like, all right, love it. You walk in the front door, what's it saying? You are here for God. When you're here to worship, you are here for the Lord. We are putting him first. When we come into worship, our gaze, our focus is set on him and him alone. And then as soon as you walk out of the, these doors, you are here for others. Another way of saying it is love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. We are here for people and here for God. And as I was kind of praying this through, uh, you know, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Love being this active word says that we actually have to give this love away. We can't hold it to ourselves. When I, whenever I think about this topic of love, you know, we uh, did a short series on it. I think it was uh, probably October in youth where we we're just diving into the simplicity of devotion and the simplicity of love and how God simply wants our love and wants to love us in return. Um, I started thinking about how the greatest act of love was the giving of the son, correct? Because for God so loved the world, he gave. And what did he give? It was a son. Since he gave his son, this love calls us to give in the same way. You can give without loving, but you can love without giving. And I'll tell you what, I've definitely in my life given without love, right? There are times where I've given things and say, all right, please just take it, <laughs> right? Sometimes there's a, come on, transparency hour. Uh, sometimes when you're at Wawa and the one person who has asked you for a dollar for the past two weeks outside of Wawa and you finally decide you want to know what, I'm going to get them the sizzly and I'm going to get them the coffee. And you pass both over and, you know, so you don't give it out of love. It's more like you've been asking for this for two weeks and it's exhausting me, <laughs> right? Transparency hour. Uh, can I tell you, we can give without love, but if we want to love that man, we have to give, right? So in our actions, we want to follow the pattern that Jesus had, or excuse me, the father had in giving his own son out of love for us. So how do I, uh, I, I want to propose a question for you guys today. Because if we can't love without giving, and sometimes the very thing that we give is that love, how do I love someone who is difficult to love? Ooh, how do I love someone who is difficult to love? That is uh, probably a little deep for 623 a.m., but that is such a necessity when it comes to the faith. Loving the unlovables. Whew. And no one likes to think of people as unlovable, right? Come on. We all have, have angelic perspectives. We never look at someone as an unlovable person, right? Come on now. <laughs> if we're real with ourselves, 
We all view someone and say, yeah, you're a little bit difficult. Sometimes I'm the difficult one, correct? Uh, if my wife were on this call, she'd be sitting there raising her hands saying, yes, you are. <laughs> but that's all part of the life, correct? Um, in loving someone who is difficult to love, I have something so very simple for you. Change your perspective. It is all about changing the lens in which you look at a person. You know, some of us uh, today, some of us listening later on, we put these wonderful things called glasses on just to see. Glasses, once you put them on your face, this is for the non-glasses wearers. Um, it takes what is blurry and unclear and makes it very clear. It takes that, uh, that which we can't see and makes us see. Uh, in the change of perspective, I can see things rightly, correct? So uh, for some of us, I don't know about you guys, but I have Coke bottle uh, ends for glasses and they compress those lenses like you wouldn't believe. So I just need a little extra help <laughs> to see clearly. And sometimes in my spiritual life, I need a little extra help to see people clearly. And I want to tell you, if that's you this morning, it's okay. So we really do need the love of Jesus to be our lens when we look at people. Uh, because if we change our perspective, we start viewing that which is, uh, we start viewing people that we define through how we look at them as enemies to people, uh, or excuse me, as opportunities of love. Let me reword that. Um, because we may not look at people as enemies today and no one would ever look at someone and say, yes, that's my enemy. Um, redefine that. Uh, so when the Holy Spirit changes our perspective, uh, people who drive us crazy are redefined as opportunities to show love. And that might be your coworker. That might be uh, <laughs> your spouse. <laughs> uh, that might be your friend, right? Uh, that might be one of your pastors. <laughs> um, the very people who drive you crazy all of a sudden become opportunities for love. And uh, something to know, oof, this is good. Something to know, uh, interactions with those people who are difficult to love are not interruptions of your spiritual life. They're actually invitations to experience deeper communion with God. So uh, when you encounter situations where you are finding someone a little more difficult to love, uh, that's not an interruption to your relationship with God. That is an invitation to experience God more. So I don't know about any of you. Uh, when I am driving through the Wawa parking lot, I discovered that I have high blood pressure uh, when I'm driving through there. Um, just in that proximity. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's my excitement for whatever's uh, you know around the corner. Maybe it's that croissant breakfast sandwich. I don't know. But I have found that once I pull into Wawa, my blood pressure just goes through the roof. And it definitely can't be because I got cut off by three cars while I was pulling in because it's the most dangerous parking lot in the world <laughs> because everybody's pre-coffee <laughs> and everyone is driving like it's pre-coffee. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I'll tell you, because this hit me like a bag of bricks, maybe like a year or two ago. And as I was driving through, I was like, oh my gosh, if they cut me off again, like I, I, I was just getting to that spot, that point, like, you know, where I'm taking deep breaths. And suddenly the Lord said, hey, this isn't an interruption to your relationship with me. This is an invitation to go deeper with me, right? 
And we all face those situations inside of our life where that little annoyance or big annoyance, right? Because while our parking lot's a little annoyance, but there are big annoyances that can happen all the time. And those big annoyances could sometimes send us over the edge. But what we want to perceive them as not an interruption, but an invitation. That invitation is to experience God. And hear me, the deeper we experience God, the deeper we can show others the Lord. Because we can't show him the nature, the fullness of his nature and all of his love if we do not experience that same love, even around people who are difficult to love. Can I get an amen? All right, let's close this out right here. Verses 41 through 46. Now, this is where Jesus turns his bad boy right around. So the Pharisees came and talked to him and had some difficult questions for him. Uh, then Jesus looked at them and said, now I've got a question for you. <laughs> and I discovered something about Jesus some years ago. Um, whenever God asks me a question, he already knows the answer. Um, and I love that he asks intentional questions on the other side. I don't know about you, but I'm like a bottom line type of person. I would love it if God just told me like, this is this and that is that, but he is so intentional about his questions because he wants to guide us to the answers. So we can understand not just the what, but his heart behind that what. Uh, right here, Jesus asks the Pharisees a very intentional question that he already knew the answer to. Because what's to say, verse 41, he's surrounded by Pharisees. Jesus asks them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Uh, another word for Messiah, uh, in case, you know, this may might be like, you know, the first time you're hearing it. The word Messiah uh, Mashiach means anointed one. Uh, so, uh, when we look at that, it basically means the son of God sent from God. Uh, Messiah is our savior, right? That's really probably more literal, uh, definition is savior. So Jesus is saying, what do you think about the savior of the world? Whose son is he? They replied, he is the son of David. Verse 43. Then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord? For he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? So the Messiah, or excuse me, uh, Jesus is pointing out to them, hey, this is a little bit beyond your understanding, and I already know it is. Because how can someone who is, let's say, father, grandfather, look at their younger relative and call them my Lord? He's like, break this down for me. Because even David back then is saying, the Lord said to my Lord, right? God said to David, sit in the place of honor at my right hand, and then I'll humble your enemies beneath your feet. This was a way of Jesus pointing something out to the Pharisees, that the Messiah would be both fully God, but also fully man. Something important to know about Jesus, while he was God on the earth, he was still 100% man at the same time. Uh, you guys still hear me? Still got me? Excellent. All right. Getting a couple of Zoom notifications, but we're gonna we're gonna close this one out. We got it. So, if Jesus, they're acknowledging, okay, this man in front of us is one hundred percent man, yet the Messiah was going to be one hundred percent God. 
And Jesus was pointing something out to them, this deep truth that he was both 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. This is such a difficult concept to grasp. And if you talk about having questions for God, this is a question I still have for him to this day. God, how can you be both 100% man yet 100% God all at the same time? How does that even work? That you're, you step down from divine nature, yet you're still divine, right? When you came down to the earth, you stepped out of the, the let's say, perfection of heaven, yet heaven was coming to earth. Like, it, it's so unique in nature. But I think the reason why Jesus did this was so that we could relate to God in our human nature, but also look to him in his God nature. Does that make sense? So when I have a feeling, I have an experience, I have an emotion, I can look to Jesus to see how he responded in those same emotions to understand he had this humanity side to him, right? But there's also this other side of he's still Lord, he's still God. I can look to him as God and look to him to be my God. He was both 100% God being the son of God and 100% human being a descendant of David. Um, Jesus throughout his ministry and throughout the gospels shows us uh, how God would respond on the earth, correct? So uh, the book of Isaiah uses this verse that it says, Jesus not only uh, came to uh, tell us the way, but he came down to show us the way. He said, this is the way, walk ye in it. And when he came down, he wasn't coming down just heralding, hey, y'all, this is what you have to do. He came down and showed us the way to do it. And we just got done talking about love. He showed us how to love. He didn't just say, hey, love your love God and love your neighbor, and I'm not going to do it myself. No, he showed us as a human what it looks like to live out of right relationship with God. And out of that right relationship with God, live a way that's pleasing to God to love others, and to love the Father himself. And I think it's so inspiring because even on my lowest day, even on a day when nothing is going right, and it seems like the world is going to end and Jesus is coming back, <laughs> even on that day, I can look to the Son, I can look to Jesus, I can look to God, and know that I can see how he responded to things, and I can aspire to step into the same things. That's that's great for me because it lets me know that I can be imperfect, yet look to the perfect son of God in when he was here in the flesh and know that I'm in a process. And then that same God that is working that process out inside of me is going to see it through. Can I get an amen, church? All right, come on. We're going to pray and close it out. Father, I thank you that you are here with us today. And that, Lord, uh, you're challenging us to love you more today. So, Holy Spirit, I just pray you would show us how to love. Show us where we can love. And, Lord, I just pray for open doors of opportunity inside of everyone's life today to show someone love. Because, God, uh, what good is it if we hold this love inside of ourselves but don't give this love away? Mm. We know uh, we can give without loving, but we can love without giving. So, Lord, help us, give us a grace, give us power, strength to give this love away. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Awesome. Y'all have a great Friday. God bless you.